Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented path to recovery from addictions. For more information, please visit us at refugerecovery.org. It's 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Welcome, everybody. This is the, I guess it used to be monthly, but now it's quarterly. Um, Town Hall uh, Q&A with Refuge Recovery World Services. I'm Noah. I'm representing the World Services, the board. Vanessa is also a board member who is also here. She's co-hosting. And, you know, this is an opportunity to talk about what's happening in the trenches out there, in the meetings, in the groups, in the um, on the, on the streets <laughs> of refuge recovery and, uh, any challenges that groups are facing or, um, experiences, anything that, uh, group reps aren't quite sure how to handle or members of the group or secretaries aren't trying to handle, aren't sure how to handle. I'm not, um, sure that I'll have the answer, but I'm happy to talk about it with you and uh, see if I have some thoughts on it. So the way that it works is that if you have a question, you can raise your hand and I'll call on you. You can raise your hand in the bottom of your Zoom screen under uh, reactions. Um, There's a little, the bottom bar says raise hand and then I'll be able to identify you by that and we can talk about it. So welcome, thanks for coming. And we've got about an hour, a little bit more time if we need it, but I like to try to keep it to about an hour. So it looks like Vanessa has her hand up. Shocker. Hi, Noah. Um, (laughs) Let me get my, I don't know how to get my hand down here. There we go. Um, Okay. In Zoom meetings, is it okay to unmute and verbally interrupt a share and congratulate the speaker for an achievement? Is it considered crosstalk to directly comment during someone's share, even if the intention is good? Can a meeting have a group conscience to vote to allow this interruption? Is it okay for that meeting to designate the type of language that is used for that interruption? My sense is that this would be, um, there was a lot of questions in there, but the, the core question that I hear uh, is my sense is that there, this would be up to the group. This would be a group conscience. If the, um, you know, if there's a three quarter majority group conscience that says in this meeting, we, um, it's okay for us to interrupt each other, uh, to congratulate each other on, milestones and in recovery, then that's up to that meeting to to make a group conscience there to have that sort of um, don't I I, my my own I'm open to discussion about this my own initial perspective on this is that it's not really crosstalk. It's just interrupting in a celebratory way. And uh, some people are going to enjoy that 
And soon people are not gonna enjoy that very much being interrupted, even if they're being congratulated or celebrated in some way. So um, my sense is that, yeah, it's up to a group conscience that meetings that wanna do that, that it, you know, it sh probably shouldn't be done without the meeting creating the culture for that to be okay. And, um, and then it, just because it's okay in one meeting doesn't mean it's okay across the board in refuge recovery meetings. Um, that's my initial thought on it. Did that cover everything? I believe so, yes. Any other thoughts from the community about that issue of, are you experiencing this in meetings? Are people interrupting you to congratulate you when you say stuff uh, about your periods of abstinence or anything? Billy, go ahead and jump in. Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, Cause you ran into this. This is something that like happens. I mean, it's it's like really prevalent at the Sunday, the, the Monkey Minds meeting. Um, but it's it's uh, it also happens at other meetings that I've gone to. I mean, I haven't been to all the meetings in in refuge, um, but a pretty decent handful. And uh, <clears throat> it's uh, it's something that we've had some conflict in in the Sunday morning meeting that we uh, we addressed, and then we tabled it with the idea that it was going to be brought up here. I agree with what you're saying, Noah, about it like not being crosstalk. Um, I look at crosstalk and we, this was something brought up at like the first men's meeting, business meeting too, like that, the idea of crosstalk being that me telling Richard what he should do, you know, me like criticizing another member, like in my share of like what they shared about, like getting into like those kind of like combative sort of interactions with people to me is what like crosstalk that like the the true meaning, because I come from 12 step and, you know, as a lot of us have, and like, you know, you'll have people straight up telling you what to do in a meeting, you know, and, and even though you might have the disclaimer of no crosstalk at the beginning of it, you still have people speaking in the second person all the time and um, straight up commenting on what you've shared, like in a really direct way. And I haven't seen that. You know, I've only been coming to refuge meetings since no beginning of November, but um, the I haven't seen that kind of direct thing happen except once. I saw it once um, Sunday morning, the last week or the week before I can't remember. Somebody straight up like cross talked some advice straight up to somebody that was pretty out of line and somebody else commented about how they didn't appreciate that behavior. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I feel like it's, I, I kind of feel like putting too many rules on stuff, like gets in the way of, of like the free kind of nature that it seems like refuge is sort of built around. Um, but I'm a newbie. So anyway, that's my two cents. Yeah. The term we've talked about this a couple of times in the, town hall time and the term crosstalk can be defined differently by different people. Some people feel like it's anytime anybody's commenting in any way about anything that anybody else has said in the meeting. And then there's the direct advice giving. And one of my biggest concerns is that um, what we 
saw happening in some of the early refuge recovery groups was that there was um, kind of a lot of people that wanted to play meditation teacher in refuge recovery and wanted to kind of give their spiritual advice to the other people in the room rather than um, kind of letting everybody find their own way and and referencing you know the the literature that there was people kind of using the refuge meeting as an opportunity to uh, let everybody know how much they know about Buddhism. And rather than speaking from I statements, they were actually giving advice to other people in the meetings. And that's something that uh, shouldn't be happening. Russell Smith. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to say, um, you know, my take on the crosstalk situation. Um, I like the rule D bad or just don't be a dick. You know, I mean, generally speaking, um, and, you know, as far as trying to guide one another, I think uh, this is a group for support, not for guidance. You know, um, even under the mentorship program, uh, we're just here to support one another primarily. Um, and if that's, you know, something that's brought up during those business meetings and reinforced, I think that that's uh, that's one of my favorite things about this program. I'll put it that way. Thanks, Russell. Sebastian, go ahead. What up? So um, uh, I guess I'm just here to kind of learn. But what I, what I did want to point out was that like on our script, you know, the bold part that says that it's essential and we can't change. It starts off by saying commenting on. And so I figured, doesn't that fall under commenting on? Like if somebody's sharing and I unmute yourself. And then I also saw it as like, you know, we say they like, don't be disruptive. So, I mean, I guess it also depends, like, do you consider that disruptive or not? But I just always figured, like, if I'm sharing and somebody unmutes themselves and says something to me, whether positive or otherwise, like, it shit throws me off a little bit. So I just kind of want to throw that out there and see, you know, what you guys thought about that and how you guys see that. You know, the, my, my, I have a sense that, um, at in-person meetings, when somebody talks about a milestone that they've reached or an experience, uh, it would pr be pretty common for people to clap. And um, that would just be sort of an okay part of the culture. Not everybody's gonna clap, but uh, one of the tricky things here is on Zoom, since everybody's muted except for the person, um, is that, that that feels like that's sort of trying to replace the clapping, which is like congratulations. Uh, and you see some people on Zoom just sort of doing it like the hand wave or the silent clap or the bow, or the, yeah, something, you know, uh, which to me feels more appropriate. You're still being seen and, and acknowledged in that way. Um, and that, you know, to unmute and actually kind of um, make noise in the midst of somebody speaking, it feels disruptive, but again, um, I th my sense is that it's one of those things that if a group conscience wants to say we want to create that sort of raucous uh, energy in our meeting, I don't want to block that personally. I don't think World Services wants to say you can't have a raucous, you know, meeting. Um, but we just have to be quite cautious that it doesn't start to leak over into 
meetings that aren't signing up for that that doesn't become part of the culture you know that it's that that would be very specific to uh you know monkey minds or that you know the meeting is choosing to run that way who uh, who had their hand up uh, next i think uh scott I just was um, responding to the earlier comment that as soon as you start to discuss the definition of things in, in the meetings we have, um, it, it becomes, it, we go around the room trying to make the definition and everybody has an opinion about it, which is great. I mean, it's a great way to kind of let everybody kind of air their feelings, but when you try to define crosstalk and interruptions, that's a really broad spectrum of definition. And I think what I, what I find nice about the way things um, draw a pretty strict line is that if you wanna act, as you said just a minute ago, if you wanna act in celebration, there's ways to do that without, without breaking the train of silence or the breaking the train of, of someone's thought, you know? And, and I think that's a lot more respectful than than um, having interruptions. And then defining interruptions and then having to define it so that you could actually make a motion and pass it. You know what I'm saying? It just gets really sticky in my, in my head. Thanks. Agreed. Thank you, um, Jeff and then Vanessa. Hey, thanks Noah. Um, I just wanted to offer this. Um, and we're talking about this, uh, maybe not crosstalk, but this kind of like, you know, speaking out, which is unique to the Saturday, Sunday Monkey Minds meeting. As far as I know, that's the meeting that has that tradition. And it's, it's well known that, that it's there, whether it was agreed upon in a business meeting before, I, I'm not sure, but that seems to be the way it goes and it hasn't changed in a business meeting yet. But what happens or kind of organically is people show up to a new meeting and if they happen to like that there that happens at that meeting they go oh, this must be the way it is and then they go to a tuesday morning meeting and they chime in and say "Fuck yeah and everybody looks at them like they're a uh, fool um this is a great opportunity for the uh, secretary to exercise some of the responsibilities of that duty and just politely say I appreciate your enthusiasm but that's uh that's not allowed here or we, we don't do that here you know, to be a, a little bit informative. Um, I just want to point that out. Being a secretary is a little bit more than running a script sometimes. Um, in a in-person meeting, you'll get that stuff, you know, depending on where your meeting is, sometimes you got to keep, keep people in line. So uh, it might just be noteworthy. It's sort of part of the job. So, thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Vanessa? Yeah, so I like, yeah, I love raucous meetings when I'm in the mood for one. I liked them a long time ago. <laughs> I guess I'm becoming curmudgeon as I get older. But um, so I definitely dig that we have that like space for that. And I and I am not advocating that we make so many rules that it becomes unfun, you know. Um, but I think, you know, like the us being a new program is that a lot of people uh our, we're all getting our bearings on what this program is. We're building it together. And so what had happened is, um, you know, I was in a business meeting for another meeting and the, the fuck yeahs were pretty prevalent in that meeting. And I, at the business meeting, you know, said, um, 
I, I don't know what's going on, but this is happening all the time now in all the meetings I'm in. And a person who was kind of new to refuge said, oh, that's just refuge culture. And that's what like kind of made me because it's I think that whatever a meeting does independently, as long as they're adhering to the guiding principles and essential elements, which, again, crosstalk is this huge chasm. But if they're adhering to that, they through group conscience should be able to do whatever they want to do for that group. Um, but that's what made it uh, kind of uh, alarming to me was that it was becoming uh, affecting refuge recovery as a whole. And so. Maybe we can also advocate that when meetings make these specific tweaks to their their programming or whatever, you know, like if my thing is, you know, we're, we waive dollar bills or I don't know, whatever we do that we say in this meeting only we have voted to do this and I, you know, like just kind of making it like this is our culture, not refuge culture. Um, but again, we can't make anyone do anything and that's just my my druthers if I had them. Thanks for, I, I really enjoy this conversation. Thank you for everyone's thoughts. I think I might've said this um, before uh, and haven't done it yet, but uh, I have some sense that we should probably change the language around in the script that says uh, no cross talking or offering of advice. Um, and that we should be a little bit more specific with that language um, because of the various, um, definitions of cross-talking. And I think I might've said at the last Q&A that um, my own personal feeling is that some level of cross-talking is actually quite healthy in recovery meetings when we are not giving each other advice, but we're saying, I really relate to you know, what Jeff was saying. And I've had a lot of experience with that too. And, and I really appreciate what Vanessa was saying and being able to talk to each other in the meeting uh, without feeling like, oh shit, I'm cross-talking because I'm inspired by what somebody else said. Um, so I feel like maybe, cause it's really just the negative aspects of advice giving or, um, you know, judgmental or critical comments about what people have said. But when it's that culture of, you know, this pure led, we're learning from each other, we're inspiring each other, we're relating to each other. Um, we should be able to acknowledge, like, I'm really relating to you and really inspired by what I'm hearing. And, and I, I see that in my own practice. And, you know, that training that we get in peer-led recovery meetings of learning to speak from I statements um, that most of us don't come in with very much skill about, you know, I statements and speaking from our own direct experience. But so that takes some time and we model it for each other. And, uh, so maybe we'll take another crack at the, um, you know, how we talk about that uh, essential element of not offering advice or, or being critical towards each other. I saw some people, um, you know, I think when, I don't know, it was Jeff was saying, uh, that he felt like it was sort of uh, mostly only happening at that one meeting at Monkey Minds. Um, I saw a bunch of people going, nope, it's happening, you know, it's sort of like, it feels like it's happening at a lot of meetings, not, not just at, in an isolated meeting, um, which does, you know, bring some concern. Mostly, 
you know, as far as the guiding principles of like, um, you know, for unity and for, um, you know, affecting refuge recovery as a whole, you know, if there are kind of things that might alienate people um, rather than have people feel welcome, um, you know, and I'm somebody who swears all of the time. So somebody says, fuck, yeah, I'm not going to be offended at all. But there are people who are going to be offended, you know, even addicts looking for recovery and, and Buddhist recovery where we practice right speech and, you know, all of that. So there is some concern about um, it becoming normalized to swear at each other <laughs> in celebration, even if it's in the most positive intention, um, rather than clapping to actually be like, fuck yeah, which is like great for most people. And some people are gonna be like, what? How dare you? <laughs> um, so there, yeah, it's a, it, it could be an issue that it's good for us to be discussing. And for, and I really like what Jeff said, rather than world services or me or anybody else feeling like, well, we're gonna make a rule. All of us, you know, the 20, 23 people that are here tonight, bringing this into our own recovery and bringing it back into the meetings um, and knowing that you can actually speak up, right? It's your program. You, there doesn't need to be rules made. It's your program and you can, you know, create the culture of your program and of your, in your meetings, and you can address this stuff if it's happening um, in a skillful way, in a kind of like, you know, voicing your concern about possible harm that could be caused by, um, you know, creating some uh, habits that might not serve, serve the greater whole. Richard and then Billy. Yeah, thanks, Noah. I wasn't going to speak on this issue because I think we had a good discussion about it already. And I didn't think I had anything to add. But I was reminded of um, at the men's meeting, maybe of about a month or so ago, I forget whether it was February or March, uh, there was somebody who was relatively new to the meeting who was objecting to the strong language that we're talking about, the fuck yes and the fucking this, and you know, the stuff that we're talking about here. And he raised an objection. And um, I remember after he left the meeting, there was parking lot time and there was a lot of conversation about what he had said, although he wasn't there. Um, and it was unfortunate that he wasn't there. And it was also unfortunate that there seemed to be a lot of discussion about that we're okay with using that language and what's, what's his problem was the impression I was left with. And then I went back and looked at the guiding principles and number six caught my eye around this issue where it says the core purpose of every group is to make the refuge recovery program available to all those still suffering from addiction. And it made me wonder about how available we were making this program for him in his, you know, his, his opinion about the, the kind of language we were using. And I wished at that time, I didn't reach out to him, uh, got him his phone number, but I was, I was wishing that we had, we had reached out to him and invited him to come back and maybe come to the business meeting and talk about this and for us to have a conversation about it. And it didn't happen, unfortunately, but it, it could. And I just, I'm raising it as an example of something I experienced a couple months ago. That's all I have to say about it. Thank you. Makes sense. Billy? Yeah, so I wanna just like, I think I already said this, but I'll reiterate it. I think 
there's a danger too of putting too much restriction on people as a way of not making them feel welcome. Uh, I know with me, like, I mean, I definitely felt more in Tucson anyway. I don't know the cultures in other places, but I definitely felt more comfortable at NA meetings than at AA meetings when I got clean because of some of the sort of, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? The, like, um, I don't know, whatever the word is, I can't think of it right now. Um, this sort of view of things that it has to be in this sort of very controlled specific way. And, you know, um, I feel like some of that cultural elements of refuse that I've felt um, of this, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're following a Buddhist path, but we're like, you know, we're not in a monastery, you know, um, we're lay people living a life, you know, and a lot of us come from a pretty raw place. Um, but not that we all do, but that like, if we start putting a lot of like, kind of um, restrictions on language and things like that, um, I feel is like a dangerous, it's a slippery slope uh, to start really like kind of prescribing how people behave in a way that I think will also um, like, there's a guy, I don't know if this has any, cause I don't know anybody's deal, but there's a guy that got really offended about the offense taken at the fuck yes. And I haven't seen that guy in a meeting since. Um, I don't know what's up with him. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or whatever, but he did speak very strongly about like how he needed the fuck yes, you know, and he needed more fuck yes, not less. And, you know, it was, you know, it is what it is. I'm not trying to add any, um, I, we don't know why people come or go to meetings or whatever, but um, I just, I, I, I'm always like about inclusion in the sense. And, and like, I think lots of rules and restrictions about what's said and how said, I think is, is a, is just a real slippery slope um, of like lack of inclusion for people like me who fucking talk the way I fucking talk and want to say, you know, Sayo talks about having 900 years clean or whatever he has now. Like, I want to say, <laughs> fuck yeah, Sayo. Um, you know, so, um, but like, and I think some of that was some cultural elements that were kind of coming into other meetings. And, and I think home groups or business meetings or whatever uh, can then go, hey, I don't like that cultural piece that's coming from this really strong culture that's a part of refuge that's, that's bleeding into our culture and we should talk about it as a group. And we did that on Sunday. I mean, it, it wasn't exactly perfect or anything like that, but we did talk about it in that kind of context as a home group or business meeting or whatever you call them. Um, and making that decision, like which we tabled, but making a decision as a group, I think is important because it's something that if the group wants to say, please don't interrupt someone's share, 
okay. I mean, I don't necessarily personally agree with that, but like, um, if the group decides it, I think it's cool. I, I think it's really problematic to start putting all these, like, you can't say fuck and you can't do this. And you, you know, like that gets, that gets to me like, uh. anyway, five cents now I put in. Thanks Billy. Um, Vanessa. Um, yeah, if we had a program we, where we couldn't say the F word, I would hardly make it through. Um, I think that like the way that we've set up this, um, like our meetings, like the way 12 step is set up is a, it's like it's self-governed. Each meeting has its own flavor, you know, and, and we all kind of started at this level field and then each meeting kind of develops its own, own deal. And what's really cool about like the, you know, rotating leadership and rotating service positions is that things will ebb and flow. And so one meeting might be fine with, with uh, whatever they do. And then, you know, and the thing is, is that it's great is if we all just keep an open mind and we talk and we have the order of our business meeting structure, everybody has the, you know, equal weight that anyone who has a problem with anything can keep bringing it back, keep bringing it back, you know, like to whatever they want. And, um, and I think what frustrates me most about um, when when someone starts doing something different at the meeting is the lack of group conscience. So it's not that there's something being done, but like, so it's 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 kind of like, what is the default? What is the status quo? Is the status quo fuck yes? Is the status quo no fuck yes? And since that discussion hasn't been made, like having to develop the like, what is the default setting here? And then what does the group talk about? you know, um, but it's, it's just when anyone does anything like, you know, um, anything that is kind of new and you're, 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 you're putting it on someone else's time. Like, you know, um, for me to have an interruption during my share of any kind is a little jarring. I lose my train of thought, but that was something new to me in my meeting. And I'm like, wait, are we doing this now? Is this okay? You know, I didn't, I felt like I didn't have a, any choice in the matter. I didn't get to voice an opinion. And so that's what was um, a little frustrating in that, but I'm, I'm, all for everything if it's adhering to essential elements, guiding principles, and there's a group conscience. Thank you. Chuck. Hi all. Um, just, just as in uh, the 12 step world, there's a lot of uh, diversity in meetings, different meetings and um, I've only been going to refuge since uh, August-ish. Um, so I like the diversity. I like the fact that if, if I go to a meeting a couple times and I'm uncomfortable with it, you know, I find something else. Um, the one <laughs> meeting that I kind of smiled a couple of times, I'm like, what, what, what did they say? What, what's the uh, um, free as fuck? <laughs> And about half the group said that uh, when they introduced themselves and half didn't. And so I was cool with that. But um, I certainly have a potty mouth, but it's not, it's, I don't, uh, it's not a normal part of my speak. The potty is when I'm acting out and misbehaving. But um, so I just, I would, if I don't have a problem, and, and I don't think I've been to any meetings where people don't say fuck. But there's some meetings that it's said more, and there's some that 
it said less. And so it's, it's whatever you're comfortable with. So I, if somebody was uncomfortable with too many free as fucks or fuck yes, then check something else out. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Thanks. Thanks, Chuck. Larry, go ahead. Uh, you're still muted. Thanks, Noah. Uh, can I bring in another topic at this point, or can we, can we talk this out? Yes, please. Okay. Um, one of the groups that I'm in has some questions about meditation, and I think I know the answer to this, but I just want to bring it up to make certain that I do. Um, there's some people in the group that want to use music behind refuge recovery approved meditation, some people that want to bring in recorded meditations, either refuge recovery or non-refuge recovery, and some people that want to bring in meditations that are independent of refuge recovery. Do we have a position on that or is that also left up to group conscience? No, we have a position. It's one of the essential elements that only refuge recovery meditations are shared in refuge recovery meetings. Yeah, that's what I thought. What about the music issue? You know, the meditations are designed to be done um, without uh, music behind them because part of the, you, I mean, you know this, Larry, that, but because part of mindfulness is being with what is. Right. Uh, and the ambient sounds that are happening and learning, you know, mindfulness of, of whatever sound as part of our practice. Um, and in the service of not becoming all of the, you, you know this, but I just, I'll just say it, but uh, all of the, um, you know, mindfulness is about so much more than just sitting in the meetings. It's about bringing this awareness into every area of our life. And if we become dependent on music for our meditative awareness by playing music a lot, um, then it's kind of hard to be mindful when we're on the freeway or, you know, on the subway or, you know, in the forest or, so um, my encouragement and, and refuge's stance is um, to not play music. There's also been, um, you know, it sounds like that's looking for like um, instrumental meditation music. Right. But we, we did decide that any kind of music um, could also be seen as outside literature, um, depending, you know, especially, especially if there's lyrics, because then there's a clear message. But even instrumental music could be seen as outside literature because it is giving a message. You know, if it's, you know, uh, hippie music, it's giving a hippie music, a hippie message. Uh, if it's, you know, punk rock, it's giving a punk rock message. If it's hip hop beats, it's, you know, it's creating a sort of outside of our recovery culture. It's bringing this outside, you know, information and literature into it which in some ways could be fine and cool. And in other ways, it could be really disruptive to the unity and the um, accessibility of, of the meetings. So, so just, yeah, the, just, just the meditations and no music. Now you didn't ask this, but I was asked this recently. What about silent meditations? And 
Vanessa, you, maybe you can answer this for me. I know, do we, we, I think we created a script for uh, deepening your practice that said people could do a 40, you know, do a longer silent meditation as part of a refuge meeting with something in the script that says, you know, this meeting is really for people who already know how to meditate and have learned the basic refuge instruction, meditation instructions. But I was thinking, you know, there is an argument that could be made that a silent meditation is not because there's no, uh, it's not in the book, it's not, there's no script for it, that maybe actually I should create a script for the silent meditation <laughs> so that it is actually a refuge recovery approved silent meditation that you know, just has a couple of lines about, you know, we're gonna practice in silence, close your eyes, you know, and the bell will ring when the silent uh, meditation period is over, just so that there is a little bit of like, this is, um, because uh, people do like to start playing meditation teacher and start doing like uh, one meeting I, I go to sometimes the secretary loves loves to say this phrase, you can't do this wrong. There's no wrong way to meditate. And they are just completely making that up and, you know, just kind of throwing that in there. They're, they're sort of playing meditation teacher by saying that it's nowhere in our literature. It doesn't say that anywhere. Uh, and it's not a bad thing to say, but it's going off script and just sort of putting in there sort of it's a, it's a nice thing to kind of tell people like you're fine, you know, whatever happens is okay. Um, but then actually maybe we should create a, a silent meditation script. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the script that we have now for deepening practice and it says in this meeting, we practiced a 40-minute silent sit. The format is meant for those who have already learned the basics of refuge recovery meditation and are wanting to deepen their understanding through longer silent sit meditation practice. And then we just have someone who rings a bell. So, yeah. But then, so we do need to write something. I mean, it's, it's almost enough, but we could, we could give them a couple of sentences. Yeah. Yeah. Refuge approved. Ding! <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then the part where he asked about um, playing recorded meditations that are, was it the refuge recovery recorded meditations that you meant or outside recorded? The question is for both. I mean, I would assume so, that recorded refuge recovery meditations are okay because they're just out of the book. But, you know, if somebody wanted to bring in like a Tara Brock meditation or, you know, Ram Das or whoever, yeah, um, I would assume that that probably wouldn't be okay. Yeah, it's not okay to bring in other um, teachers or other practices. Uh, technically, it's okay to play the refuge recovery meditations, but personally, I don't think it's a great idea. Unless, you know, like part of the great thing about what we're doing is the rotating leadership of taking turns reading the meditations to each other. And so uh, rather than just like, hey, we all just want to meditate. So we're going to push play and let the, you know, podcast, you know, the, the guided meditation go. Um, it's actually part of being of service, that rotating yeah, leadership of like, let's take turns reading these to each other. And uh, more than once, I've heard from people who like, I don't really want to read the meditation because I want to meditate that when they do read the meditation they're like oh that was really good for me actually i took away a deeper understanding of the instructions by leading it than i do from listening to it so uh 
a big part of my encouragement for people to not listen to the recordings is because it's really good for our recovery to take turns leading them. You know, if it's a meeting of two or three people, then maybe a different story and kind of like, yeah, <laughs> let's, uh, let's listen to one once in a while. But uh, if there's enough people there to do that rotating, take turns uh, leading them, I think it's really healthy to do that. How are the meetings going uh, up there, Larry? Chicago, right? The in-person meetings died in Chicago. Um, yeah, I can talk with you about that offline at some point, but um, we ended up losing the space here around some issues that weren't recovery related. Um, the place where I had the meetings, uh, one of the clients, one of the one of the members of the organization is a sexual assault group that raised some concern. So I'd be happy to talk to you about that, Larry. And I don't know if you know Chuck, who's just uh, kind of above you on my screen. He's also from that area, I believe. He just raised his hand. So if you and you and Chuck could connect. For yeah, okay. um, there. there's an in-person meeting in the Woodstock which is a little bit of a hike from Chicago, but um, it's actually a, a temple, a Buddhist temple. Buddhist temple X uh, Unitarian X uh, some Christian version, but uh, anyways. <laughs> yeah, it's a good meeting. In fact, we've been getting a lot of uh, folks from a treatment center coming in. So that's, that's good. We had 21 people the other night and it was cool. fantastic. So. Billy? Yeah, speaking of that, that brought up an idea. I was talking with Michelle about this the other day. Um, what is the stance on like going into treatment centers? I know for me, like in 12 step, like I did that for many, many years, like where I would take meetings into treatment places and stuff like that. Is there, a, um, is there like a structure or um, any kind of like format for like engaging with treatment center bringing in a refuge meeting into into treatment places no we've never um you know from the beginning from year one we've been talking about this and there's been a few different committees formed about creating uh hospitals and institutions um you know format but it's uh, none of the committees ever f uh, followed through <laughs> and it's happening in lots of places there's lots of places where people are bringing refuge meetings into prisons into jails into treatment centers but it's all just individuals who are just taking it upon themselves um, to go and, and and host a meeting at an institution um, maybe it's one of the things this summer at the a refuge conference where we can again try to get a um, you know a, a committee together to create um, more of a formal way to do that because um, I mean I was asked this week by a treatment center in Portland, Oregon, or outside of Portland, um, saying, "Hey, we want to have a refuge meeting. Is there anybody from the community that will come in and do it?" And I just had to say, like, I'll, I'll look for somebody, but I don't have a list um, from that area. 
Jeff, go ahead and jump in. We had uh, Kaiser uh, CRPD groups. Um, you know, Emily and I started one here in San Francisco, and there's a number of them around the Bay Area. I think in LA, you guys had um, at Kaiser too. CRPD was doing it. Yep. Um, Duffy's, as uh, I think unofficially, um, I know like uh, my buddy Robert brings a, recover, a refuge recovery meeting when he does goes up there in his weekly service. So um, we're in there, but maybe not formally. It'd be great to see Kaiser or one of those uh, institutions welcome us back. So. Yeah, and it's it's happened in a lot of places. I was talking to another guy today who's bringing meetings into treatment centers, and so it is happening, but not there's not a formal format for it or a formal sub organization like in the twelve step world where there's world service and then there's hospitals and institutions, and we don't have that yet, and and we hope to develop that. You know, um, it, when this happened in twenty. 16, 15, something like that. Um, it was kind of a spur of the moment thing. Enrique said, hey, we got this invitation. Can you run up to, to Fillmore and give a presentation for refuge recovery? And like, uh, it was a trip, you know, because it was like these like professional people and then, you know, me. But um, but yeah, it was really uh, exciting. You got to introduce a program, give a little, uh, here's how it works. And, you know, basically read the introduction of the book. Um, and they were super receptive. Um, so I hope we see that again. I think it's it's coming back around and, you know, kind of post-COVID places opening up and looking for groups to come in. So I think it's it's coming. If there is a post-COVID, we'll see. You know, but last thing too, and you know, when we were the first round of doing this, um, I, I made up a little information sheet and we were dropping it around the local uh, clinics and stuff too. And, you know, for what it's worth. You know, maybe Jeff, the, um, that's something that we could take a look at and make available on the website, you know, kind of look at it and have board sort of approve what that informational pamphlet would look like. Um, and then make that available for anyone anywhere that wants to have something like that for local, you know, organizations. Oh, yeah. Vanessa, go ahead. I have a different question, but I don't want to hog the whole time. Um, and I don't know if we're ready to move on with the question, but if anyone else had anyone, I didn't want to jump in front of them, but it's a question about the fourth guiding principle. Anyone else want to go? Okay. Um, so this is kind of a longer question. I wrote it out to hopefully make it more succinct. This is kind of um, based on a conversation that I had with you about some issue we were having in a meeting where people with process addictions had to give up their service commitment because they drank every now and then. Um, and so here we go. Guiding principle number four states that to hold a service position, one is expected to maintain abstinence from recreational drugs and alcohol and adhere to process addiction bottom lines. We are and this is what I'm presupposing, we are adhering to the fifth Buddhist precept of avoiding intoxicants. The precepts are guidelines for those who are working towards enlightenment, correct? Like, yes. is that, is that a, a correct thing to say? Okay. Sure. Why is it, why is it important for those who have process addictions to not drink or use drugs sporadically if it is not a problem for them? Is this a double standard since those who have drug and alcohol addiction aren't always held to the same degree of scrutiny for their process addictions? As in, 
the alcoholic addict is able to define their own bottom lines, um, but those with process addictions are given service physician eligibility criteria by others. What about those individuals who are coming for refuge recovery just for abstinence, but aren't going for enlightenment? And why is the fifth precept important in these cases? Is the word abstinence used in place of enlightenment in the book, the refuge recovery book? No, and I might have spoken too soon when I said yes, when you put in the term enlightenment around the fifth precept. Um, I think we can remove enlightenment altogether from the conversation and um, bring the conversation back to um, freedom from addiction. And the whole methodology that we are using is based in mindfulness. Mindfulness is not possible uh, when you're intoxicated. And so the precept around avoiding intoxicants is so that you can continue to utilize mindfulness to, um, as an intervention between your process addiction or, or whatever the, however the addiction is manifesting. So we can let go of this enlightenment thing. If you're in refuge recovery, you're in refuge recovery to recover. In order to use the tools that we have, you need to be sober in order to do that, whether you're an alcoholic or not. If it's sex addiction, food addiction, gambling addiction, um, drinking uh, or using recreational drugs blocks mindfulness, and then you'll no longer be able to utilize the intervention of mindfulness in the addictive process. So it's all in service of your recovery. Forget about enlightenment. Um, would be my initial thoughts on that. Does that make sense? I know that there's that question about you. You lost me a little bit. You, I didn't quite get what you were saying about people with substance abuse, substance addictions have a bottom line, which is abstinence. And people with process addictions that other people are saying what their bottom lines are? Well, what I'm saying is like, I, I deal, I'm an alcoholic addict yep. and I'm sure I have a bunch of process addictions that I'm not acknowledging that I'm not setting a bottom line for. I'm just going crazy. Right. And so there's no one, there's nothing in refuge in our guiding principles whatever, that says that I can't hold the service position, but then the person that has a process addiction let's say their process addiction is um, food, right? They, they make their own bottom lines, but then we tell them you can't have any drugs or alcohol, even though that's not their, their thing. And it just feels like a double standard where like one group is allowed to set their, you know, like they're not like weighted equally is what it feels like. It's like drugs and alcohol are given heavier weight or something. And I know that it just, it just, it's not apples to apples. And I don't think it ever can be. Um, and this is why this program's like doing something revolutionary, which is putting everyone's everything addict in the same pile. And like, you know, there's extreme cases where, of course, we don't want someone sharing a meeting or secretary a meeting who's intoxicated and blah, blah, blah. But like, it's just it's really hard for me to swallow when I have a <laughs> I literally swallowed um, when it's hard for me at, that we have someone who has like a shopping addiction and they're trying really, really hard to adhere to their bottom line. And they had a mimosa at Easter brunch 
once a year, like they're going to lose their service position. It just doesn't feel inclusive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I might be a little uh, rigid about this. Um, but I don't know how to find a more um, nuanced way to practice this. And because we are trying to follow um, the teachings of the Buddha, the precepts of Buddhism as our recovery program, and because it's so clear that this is a, an important part of the teaching um, in order to end suffering, because, and I get what you're saying around like manifesting as shopping addictions and then process addiction, um, but when you enter refuge recovery, you're not committing to just abstinence from the primary addictions, you're committing to getting as free as possible, as awake as possible, as um, liberated as possible. And maybe, you know, I kind of rejected your statement about enlightenment, but it is, um, it is what we're doing, right? We're using a path to freedom from suffering that necessitates abstinence from recreational drugs and alcohol. And so I get that it's a little rigid around like, you know, you're not an alcoholic and you have a glass of wine occasionally or Easter brunch or whatever. Um, but I think we have to stick with it. My, my sense is, um, I guess, I think it's part of my own I hate to use the term devotion, but, you know, kind of devotion and respect and, and adherence to, um, you know, and out, out of gratitude for, uh, you know, I just, I feel like the Buddha created this really amazing path for us. And I feel so fucking grateful for it. And part of that path is total abstinence. Mm -hmm. And so it's what we're doing, right? It's what we're utilizing. And it's, um, and I was quite, you know, clear that I didn't want to create a secular form of Buddhist recovery or a, you know, mindfulness-based recovery that I was actually quite honest, you know, all throughout the book, this is Buddhism. And Buddhism is abstinence early Buddhism, you know, I mean, of course, there's other Buddhists, I see some Zen Buddhists in the room, and some Tibetan Buddhists in the room, and there's lots of different forms of Buddhism. But early Buddhism, Theravadan Buddhism, um, is a completely abstinence-based teaching, you know, the, the original teachings of the Buddha were totally abstinence-based. And as Buddhism has developed and changed, and maybe some would even say evolved, that has changed. And there's lots of Buddhists that drink alcohol, um, and some forms of Buddhism even include alcohol in their Buddhist rituals. Um, but the, the path that we're following is an early form that is an abstinence-based path. And so I just have to stick with that. We just have to stick with that.
So I, I totally like, I get it. And I, I mean, because I'm the alcoholic addict, it's easier for me to get, it's, it's more difficult when I have someone with the process addiction and meeting that can't serve and they really want to and blah, blah. But I think what I'm, but but Vanessa, they can serve. They are, we want them to serve. They're welcome to serve. They just have to want to be of service and engage more than they want to have a drink. Yeah. They have to be willing to practice some renunciation and that renunciation is good for them. Yeah. And, and I, I get that, but like the, it, I just, I think what I'm looking for is an acknowledgement that there is the double standard and that we can't get out of it because I can, I can go and overeat and not call a bottom line and still keep my service position. So it's like, I, it's, I think, yeah. Technically, if uh, we are here, whether drugs and alcohol are are primary or not, and we have set our own bottom line and we've said, I'm also a food addict, or I'm also a shopping addict, or I'm also a, and we are using refuge recovery to address our other addictions. And we've set a bottom line and we are relapsing and crossing our bottom line. Then that's what that fourth guiding principle says. If you're not maintaining abstinence from the bottom lines that you have set, then, you know, it's a relapse and you should give up your uh, service commitment until you have reestablished and are maintaining abstinence from the bottom lines. So in that way, actually, it should be treated the same way, equally, rather than separately. It should be treated the same way, that uh, we have a, a clear guideline there that says, you know, in order to hold the service position, you need to be practicing abstinence from the bottom lines that you have set. Yeah. Now that's different. Like you were saying, you know, uh, alcoholics or drug addicts that come in and they're not even aware of their sex addiction yet. They're not even aware of their food addiction yet. They haven't set a bottom line yet because they're still in it and they're, you know, in denial or whatever it is about it. That's different because yeah, there's going to be lots of recovering addicts who haven't quite got around to saying like, oh, I also have this love addiction. Oh, I also, you know, the whack-a-mole is happening and it's popping up over here around shopping or over here around gambling or over here around sex or food or however else. But once we have acknowledged it and established a bottom line, then we do need to take that responsibility to maintain abstinence. Thank you. I hope that, I hope that makes sense. And yeah, the other pieces is like, we don't want to police this too hard. Any of this. I really love the way the 12 step program, the original one, Alcoholics Anonymous over and over says, these are only suggestions. And refuge recovery, there's a little bit of, you know, maybe it feels a little bit stronger than suggestions, like they're rules, but really they are suggestions. And, you know, there's some essential elements and there's guiding principles, but these are, are you know, are, are suggested principles to adhere to. And we don't need to police them too hard and start, you know, kind of judging each other about this stuff. What does that actually look like, though, in practice? Because th- this came about in a meeting where 
we had someone who had a service position and they were sharing that they were they don't have a drug or alcohol that's not what they're in there they're in for process addiction and they shared that later on they were going to go meet a friend in town for a beer yeah and so like what do you do like i i didn't do anything but i mean people people had a lot to say and it's like what do you what do you do? Uh, you know, somebody um, told me yesterday that they uh, were secretarying a meeting and that they weren't um, maintaining abstinence from marijuana anymore, that they were using marijuana. And I said, you need to give up your service commitment uh, until you're maintaining abstinence. That's just part of the way that we're doing it. So there is a gentle way to, to say that without it, you know, when somebody, you know, uh, acknowledges to you that all, and that's not just me, like all of us can kind of have that gentle conversation with each other and say, like, you know, this is not, it's not a good look for us to have people in service positions that aren't maintaining sobriety and abstinence, no matter what the manifestation of, uh, of addiction is. So there's just a gentle way to encourage people, you know, and that person could have said um, to me, you know, hey, hey, Noah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm keeping my secretaryship. Um, and I don't know that I would have canceled their meeting or anything like that. I, but, um, you know, the, 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 just that sort of like, it's suggested that you let go of that commitment now, turn it over to someone else. I don't know. I hope that makes some sense. This is tricky stuff. And, you know, it was a little bit of the conversation we were having earlier of like, we don't want to come down too hard on each other, but also we don't want to be so loose that it becomes this like uh, free for all where people are getting high and showing up to the meetings or, um, I mean, people are welcome to get high and show up to meetings, just not if they're in the service role. <laughs> you got to remember that too. Like, you know, our, our primary purpose is to help people who are still getting loaded, help them get clean. So we don't want to get too critical about that. So. Russ, I see your hand up. Yeah, um, I want to offer my, my thoughts on this. Um, you know, I kind of feel like we can't really shift the sands of reality when it comes to these things. Um, I'm very close to somebody who has uh, issues with food, you know, and I've always thought, you know, if I had to drink a certain amount, but not get drunk to survive, that would be horrific. Um, but we can't really change that, you know? Um, and I definitely agree with the abstinence portion. Um, you know, I, uh, I was actually a, a, a medical marijuana patient and used it for PTSD. And when I was, before I got sober, it was one of the only things that helped to quiet some of those uh, symptoms that I had. But after getting sober, I realized that it just wasn't working anymore. And um, part of my decision to abstain was partially that, but also partially because I wanted to be able to be of service in this program. Um, sorry, I'm a little out of breath, getting ready to jump on the motorcycle and run to work real quick. But uh, um, I just wanted to throw that out there. You know, um, I definitely I definitely agree with the precept that, you know, it's an abstinence based program. 
Um, but I also really like the idea that there's suggestions, you know, we ask this, we ask that you please, you know, we're not, we're not trying to force anybody into anything. Um, and that's, again, one of the things that I really love about this program is that it's inclusive. Um, it's based on personal experience. It's experiential and, um, and it connects us instead of divides us. For me, once I start trying to, trying to make the rules of reality, that's, that's when I start really slipping and, and I'm headed towards a relapse, but that's my personal experience. Thanks so much. Love you guys. Thanks Russ. I appreciate that. And, and I might be reading between the lines, but I really appreciated Russ saying that like, you know, this encouragement towards the abstinence was part of what, you know, in order to be of service was actually what helped him establish and maintain abstinence. I think that's an important part of the conversation too. So um, it's been an hour. I can make a little bit more time if there are other um, issues that, that, would, that need to be discussed that are affecting your groups or your recovery in any way. And uh, if not, we can leave it here. Michelle. Yeah, I got a question really quick because a lot of groups are making t-shirts and I'm curious about, are we allowed to use the refuge recovery three triangle, the three diamonds symbol, or is that a violation of copyright? Technically, it would be a violation of copyright. Um, but we're pretty relaxed about it. I think the main issue with that is um, where's, you know, where's the money going? Uh, it would, would not be okay for any individuals to be profiting off of uh, this, you know, personally profiting. If all of the money is going back into the group and hopefully some of it coming to world services as part of a, um, you know, the, the process of, of generosity. Um, we haven't shut anybody down for doing it yet. Um, as long as nobody's, you know, making a bunch of money off of it. Uh, all right. Thanks. Cause we have a shirt and all the profit is going to world service. Yeah. Seems, so. seems, seems okay. And then it's a good community building thing and people like to like to do it. And I think we're going to be pretty relaxed about, I think it's one of those things until it goes off the rails, it's, we don't need to shut it down, but it could be a little bit dangerous. Roger that. Thank you. So, yeah. Can, um, can we make Sunday morning spiritual like caftans with the logo? Is that, is that okay? What's a caftan? Yeah, what's it's a like, what, like what Stevie Nicks used to wear, like Fleetwood Mac, like it's like flowing. You guys don't know, you're so punk rock, you don't know what a caftan is. I'm going to hand make you one, Vanessa. Um, I'm going to hand make it out of my, the, the, my dogs are shedding a lot right now. <laughs> <laughs> hair, hair shirt, that's Catholicism. <laughs> but it's a dog hair shirt, so. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
Hey, Noah, I heard a rumor that the Q&As are going to happen more frequently than quarterly. Is that true? Sounds like a vicious rumor to me. Yeah, I thought so. I mean, I'm, I, I feel available um, if, if it's useful, but you know, like even tonight we had an hour and we only had a couple of topics that we, you know, this is, and it's useful to talk about this stuff, um, but it doesn't seem so necessary to, to do it too much more. Maybe quarterly is okay for now. We didn't get there, but I saw that, um, Vanessa posted in the chat that there was a, a newsletter that went out today and World Services posted a um, couple of new things in there that you might not have seen yet. One is the um, finances, the profit and loss, the sort of approximate numbers uh, of what came in in 21 and how it was spent and, and what was remaining. So that's on the website if you're interested in the finances of, of the program. And then also this um, pamphlet on uh, prescription medication. And also we threw into the, the views on prescription medication, psychedelics, non-prescription um, uh, medication. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm sure that that'll be you know, interesting to discuss when people have a chance to get into it, but we don't need to do that tonight. I'm sure it'll ruffle some feathers, as these things always do. Drugs and money. So thank you all for being here. And uh, Seho, thanks for showing up and holding space for the board and Vanessa, also board members. These these two give uh, you know tirelessly of their life's energy to support this program. Uh, and you know, deal with uh, the business that we have to deal with on the board. So, and thank you all for your service and for showing up and being part of this thing with us. May any goodness that comes from our business and our discussion and our attempts to create a positive uh, change on this planet and a refuge for addicts seeking this path. And we share this merit outward in all directions with all living beings in existence. So thank you and good to see everybody and see you next time. Thanks, Noah. Thanks for your service, everyone. Thanks, y'all. Have a great night. Refuge Recovery is freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation to support us, you may do so by following the link in the episode notes. We appreciate your generosity.